And we're back for the first 2020 edition of Hark the Pod. I am Fleet Wilson. I'm Matt Chilson. And we are two sports writers for the Daily Tar Heel Sports Desk here to bring you the exclusive content from all things Carolina sports. That's right. Here at the Daily Tar Heel, we cover all 28 varsity sports at UNC. And on today's episode, we have Chapel Fowler, who wrote a story about UNC's new fencing coach, Met Jednak. So we'll get all into that. And also, we are now fencing guys. Also, we have Brian Keyes on to discuss uh, UNC women's basketball and his feature on Taylor Coonan. And to top it all off, we have all four of us give our assessment of the state of North Carolina men's basketball. So we've got a packed show for you guys. Thank you for tuning in. So we're excited here on Hark the Pod to welcome in assistant sports editor Brian Keyes to help talk about basketball with us. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so you recently just had a feature story come out on Taylor Coonan, and you've also covered the women's team for quite a, quite a bit. Could you kind of just walk us through how this season has differed from previous seasons, and has there been a palpable kind of culture change around the locker room? Yeah, so I think the... The culture change is pretty evident. Um, I think, like they they used to talk about in the NBA, how you notice there's always a bounce whenever a, a coach is fired midseason and the new coach comes in. Um, that also sort of happens when you switch coaches, you know, normally between programs. And I think Courtney Banghart has done a really good job of energizing the team. Um, you talk to them and they really enjoy playing with her. Uh, you know, not to say that they didn't enjoy playing with Sylvia Hatchell, but I, I think it can definitely help to have someone a lot younger come in, um, a lot more energetic. Uh, and that seems to have given the team just like everyone seems more excited um, just in general, just to talk about what's going on. Um, as for how the season's going, um, it's a couple different things. Uh, you've seen jumps from people like Taylor Coonan and also Janelle Bailey. Uh, Malou Shatingay was their big recruit. Um, she's starting at Power Forward for them. Um, she has been really good. I think she, she was either a four or five star, but she has been uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, their, their second or third leading scorer. Um, but the the really interesting thing is, I, I think, here, let me check the stats, but I am pretty sure that um, all five of their starters are averaging double-digit points. Yeah, I got, um, it. I got it up right now, and I think they, I see that they are, uh, Shinge is averaging the least out of the starters. She's averaging like 10.9 still, which is yeah. impressive. That's a really impressive just distribution of offense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they share the ball quite well if they're not really relying on one score, per se. Yeah, like you would see last year, um, Janelle Bailey's taken a leap, but she was the, the number two, and they really relied on Paris Key a lot. Um, a lot of times, the offense would break down, and it would be sort of up to her to, to bail them out, and you would see that time and time again. And this time, it really can be anybody. Um, you know, the, their best player has probably been Janelle. She just got named ACC Player of the Week. Uh, I think she had back-to-back 20-point games. Um, but you see, you know, Taylor Kuna will step up and score 23 points in a game or something. Um, the Shayla Bennett will step up and, and score, you know, 18-plus points. Malou will, will go and score, you know, 17 points as a freshman or something. Um, and it, it really seems like any of their starting fives is capable of having a big game, basically whenever. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest change is, is they're a lot more well-rounded. And uh, I know you mentioned uh, the feature before, but kind of what was the what was Taylor's sentiment towards the coaching change? I know the first section of your story was titled Rock in a Storm. So was it sort of like 
she was the one person that stayed. Like, I know other players like Janelle stayed too, but uh, was she kind of the leader in that transition? And, like, what was her sentiment towards the change, like, specifically? Yeah, so the thing I got, so one thing that I that I didn't realize going in and, and sort of learned was that, so they had three players transfer away. Um, all of those were, were, you know, second or third year players, so they were losing experience there. Um, and what she told me, and that I, I think I mentioned in the story, is that uh, they were actually sort of expecting those players to transfer. Um, that they were, you know, they, they sort of got the feeling that at the end of the year um, they would be doing going on. And most of those players were graduate transfers as well, so it wasn't like they were they were totally, you know, bailing a sinking ship. Um, the biggest thing I think for her that she talked about is you you come in recruited by a Naismith Hall of Fame coach. Sylvia Hatchell is uh, third or fourth something in all-time wins. Um, she's behind Pat and, and Gino and someone else, I think. Um, but maybe she's fourth or fifth. Um, she's got over 1,000 career wins, which you look at and it's insane. Um, but so, you know, e- even her leaving under the circumstances she did, there was alleged, um, you know, racial, inappropriate racial language. Um, the big thing, I think people really focused on that. And I think the bigger thing was uh, the allegations that she was having players play injured. Um, I think if there was any resentment on the team, um, it, w- it was towards that, because, you know, if you play injured, you're going to get more injured. Um, so but. She really said that that she still really admired um, Coach Hatchell because you know you come in and and you know it's it's like the sentiment of game respects game like a lot of these players really did admire her and the things that she accomplished. She won a national title in '94, uh, I believe, um, and so that was the hard part is that you come in expecting. You know, you're going to play for this coach for all four years, um, and especially for Taylor for her senior year. Um, you know, suddenly it's like your last year. You don't know what's going to go. Um, and I don't want to say that that like you know Taylor was the sole person like holding the team together. Um, she was definitely an important part um, of all of that, and, and you know, a lot of the players sort of look to her as you know like a friend and and she was the oldest person on the team uh or was going to be the oldest person on the oldest oldest slash most experienced unc player they've had uh like medina muhammad is a a senior but she's also a transfer um taylor's been at unc all four years um so there's sort of like some looking to her more so from the younger players um but i think the the difficulty really came from you know, there was a two-week period where they just didn't know who the coach was going to be, and obviously, it's worked out great. And um, people have talked about the they, various people on the team sort of had uh, knowledge of um, Coach Banghart. Uh, Malou was recruited by Princeton when she was there, so she knew her. And um, I mentioned in the story, uh, Taylor's AU coach had had a player play for Banghart at Princeton, so the, there was sort of. Once it was announced it was her, I think there was like a settling down because she had just like a stellar reputation of what she did up at Princeton. Um, but I, I think the real difficulty was that period where they just didn't know what was going on. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I vividly remember like watching ESPN as a kid, like I forget when, like middle school or something, and I saw Princeton women's basketball was going undefeated in the regular season and stuff. And I guess I didn't even realize it was Banghart then, but when she was hired here, I immediately thought back to that, like how great of a resume she has and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, she's a, she's an impressive coach, and it's pretty clear she's had a turnaround because I mean, 
I guess my question now is just where do you see them in the postseason? Like, what do you think their seed or, like, where do you th- how do you think they'll do in the ACC tournament? And just because I know last year they were a bubble team, like, barely kind of snuck in as an eight or nine seed. But uh, kind of what do you think and what do you think they'll accomplish this year in the postseason? Yeah, that's kind of hard to say. So they made it back to the postseason last year. Um, they had missed it the previous two seasons. Um, they had had sort of down years following the the academic scandal. A lot of people left, and then they lost transfers, and that really hurt their ability to bring new players in. So they made it back. Uh, they got drubbed by Cal, lost by 20 points. Um, this year, I don't know. Like, part of me... That team last year was really carried by Periski. Um, Janelle Bailey was an important part. Uh, there were other important parts. Um, Shayla Bennett was an important part. Taylor was, you know, Taylor's better this year than she was last year, but she was still important to the team. Um, Jocelyn Jones was playing pretty well. Um, but they were they were shallower. They relied way more on Paris. Um, she she was really their, their go-to person. This year it's more spread out. Um, which I mean, it's it's sort of like up and down because uh, having having a guard that can create off the dribble when things slow down um, really helps a lot, and they sort of have that. Um, you know, Medina can do that. Uh, you saw that um, against Louisville when it got down late, and I think they they brought it within you know four or five or something. Like they got it close against the. I think Louisville was the number two team at that point. And a lot of that was like Medina making stuff happen um, or Taylor making stuff happen. Um, so I, f- I don't know if they're going to get out of the first round, um, and that's just based on on talent. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do, but I wouldn't you know bet a pot of money on it. Um, but... I, th- I think they'll do better. I think they, I mean, part of it was people were injured at the end of last year, um, but they really fell apart towards the end. Like, I covered the last regular season game of the year last season, and that was the away game at Duke, and they were just tired. Like, y- you could tell they were beaten down, and um, I'm going to blank. It was someone who, Stephanie Watts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Stephanie Watts didn't play, and there was she was one of the ones I think that was mentioned in the Washington Post story as um, that that was sort of ignored for how her injury went. Um, but she didn't play. She she had been their number two guard behind Paris, um, and they were just. I mean, I think some of it was frustration with Hatchell. Some of it was, you know, like it's hard to play through injuries. <laughs> like if you've ever just like gotten you know a minor injury just like existing as a person and you try and like walk around and you can't do the things that you're used to doing and you just get frustrated with yourself imagine being a d1 basketball player um you know and you used to be able to make these explosive movements a week or two ago and suddenly you can't um so i think they'll be in better shape in the postseason um i i think it really would depend on their seeding um they'll get a higher seed than they did last year um and and who they face um but it's hard to say because a lot of this team is sort of not super proven in the postseason yet and one last question on the women's team people forget this is duke week for them as well they play on thursday how do you think they match up against duke on thursday um, so Duke, I was looking at their stuff earlier. Um, they haven't done great. Uh, they are, 
11 and 10 right now, so a game above 500. Um, they just lost to NC State, um, which is their ranked team, but it was only by three points, which is pretty impressive. Um, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't actually watched Duke women's basketball this much. Um, last year, Duke was the better team. Um, it was pretty clear. You could see that. Uh, it was an away game, and you know everyone talks about playing in Cameron is always hard. Um, but you could just sort of tell that they were being out talented. Um, wasn't that wasn't that the game that they got in the fight towards the end? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was like a shoving match or something. <laughs> there was like I, a shoving match towards the end of the game, and it was just kind of chaos in Cameron. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, this year, like I, I feel positively about UNC's chances. Um, they not only have they been on a roll, but I think the the attitude, not that the attitude was bad, I, like I guess the energy was better. Um, yeah, it just seems like they have more of a big game mentality that they they're rising to these occasions, and I feel good about their chances on Thursday in Cameron. All right, and he just walked in here with some Taco Bell. Got the quesarito on deck, so he's a little late. But uh, we're happy to have senior senior writer Chapel Fowler in here to talk some men's basketball talk with the three of us. Chapel, how we doing? Good. Uh, a little bit out of breath from my uh, speed walk over here. Sorry to be late, but the steak quesarito, which is sitting near me right now, was pretty worth it so far. I'd say it smells pretty delicious, honestly. <laughs> Taco Bell's always <laughs> worth it. So it is. Matt and I. Uh, we're trying to go to Taco Bell after covering the UNC-NC State game in Raleigh, and we pulled up at like 11.55, They closed at midnight. And yeah, they wouldn't let <laughs> yeah. us in. Yeah. They, they got to respect the journalists there. <laughs> but um, it's been a while since we talked men's basketball. I think the last time we were, we, were in the, we were in the podcasting room, Cole Anthony wasn't injured. We were talking about the floor for this team. We were thinking eight seed. Since then, things have slid in qu quite a bit. So very, why don't we all just uh, recap the past month? Yeah, that was a very cold take, but <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So anyways, over the past month, obviously, Cole Anthony, we had the Cole Anthony injury, Jeremiah Francis injury, and B-Rob is now injured. Um, and, you know, kind of the team kind of fell off a cliff. Uh, but basically, what, what have you guys seen from the team? I know you guys have both covered a lot of men's basketball, um, but, like, in person, what is kind of the aura around the team and how are they feeling about their post obviously their postseason chances are probably gone by now but uh how are they kind of feeling about the rest of the year well i'll say uh before the the little two game mini win streak it was just sad like not not that you know it, it was sad to watch which it could be at times but like the players in the locker room they were just so sad like it it's really hard to describe but they would just come out and you could see they they were just killing themselves um you know garrison brooks who is not a talkative person um normally but it, you know usually will make a joke or two you know he would come out and he he you could tell he just did not want to be there and it's really hard to you know hard to fault him for that because they they had a couple really tough losses. Um, I was at the Clemson game, which is maybe the craziest thing I've ever seen in person. Um, you know they're up ten with two minutes left and they have three turnovers back to back. Um, you know the, there's the infamous Roy Williams post game where he says you know it's all my fault. I didn't tell them to foul. They should have fouled. Guy hits the three. It goes to overtime and they just run out of gas. Um, you know, same with the Virginia Tech. You have two overtimes, and, and they just run out of steam doing it. Um, and they, you know, it was clear they were searching for answers, and no one really had any. And I think part of it is 
it's hard to accept, but but eventually it became you know sort of the understanding that like this just isn't that talented of a UNC team. And you look, and it sort of makes a certain amount of sense. You know, when Roy was recruiting, he kind of recruited like he expected Kobe White to still be here. Like Kobe White would be the starting shooting guard, and you would have Brandon Robinson playing small forward, um, and then Garrison Ar- and Armando, and a Cole Kobe B Rob Garrison Armando lineup. That's pretty good. That has a lot of shooting. You have two guys that can sort of create off the dribble. Brandon Robinson could be more of a catch-and-shoot weapon that way. That's a pretty well-balanced team. But Kobe did so well in his first year, sort of exceeding everybody's expectations, that now you have this unbalanced team, and you're asking guys to play a bigger role. You're asking Cole to take more shots probably than he should. You're asking... You know, uh, at the beginning, Garrison was sort of forced into a, a bigger offensive role than he looked comfortable with, and, and lately he's blossomed with that. But you could just tell, like, none of the guys were used to losing like this, and they just didn't know how to handle it. Or, you know, I shouldn't say that, but they, you know, they were just really sad. It's not what you expect c- coming to play basketball at Carolina, mm-hmm. having to deal with these questions mm-hmm. from reporters, and having Roy with that infamous quote saying it's the least gifted team. Chapel, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I guess just looking at the schedule we have up here, I guess to contrast that a bit, there was that little two-game spurt, wins against Miami and NC State. Um, and, uh, I mean, I guess you could say that was getting back to the UNC basketball that um, fans have been accustomed to, that Rue Williams has been accustomed to, that these players probably thought they are going to be playing like a something like 25 assists on 32 made baskets against Miami, something like that, some crazy yeah. amount. Um, and they rebounded well against NC State and really um, – put it inside to their two bigs, which is obviously like one of the UNC stereotypes that with um, Luke May for good reason, because he was a great player here, they kind of got away from from two years. Um, so you saw flashes of that. And uh, I mean, one, lay, one way that I can equally gauge um, like team confidence and stuff, and it's harder because um, the locker room is only open for away games. Uh, it's kind of like, I guess, the reward for people who travel. But um, just in comparing um, the locker room in like Charlottesville. That's when they lost to Virginia, and it was 12-point loss, but it was a lot more than that. Um, it just kind of got close at the end. Um, and then this NC State went on last Monday. Like There was just like a sense of relief um, because Miami is Miami, but you know, mm-hmm. State was a good team at that time. They still are above 500. Um, you could just see there was like a sense of like, oh, my gosh, thank you. Because like Andrew Playtech, like all season long, this has like been like his quote that he goes to, which like makes sense. He's always like... Literally, like, we're all, like, competent basketball players. Like, we know what we're doing. Like, for some reason, it's just, like, not coming together. And this was a night when everything came together. Like, the grad transfers had a little seven-point spurt that Matt wrote about. There's a plug. Um, (laughs) And uh, the big men were good. And um, when NC State got within, I think it was six late, um, UNC rattled off, like, no, it was within four. UNC rattled off three straight buckets. It was, like, Andrew Playtech jumper, Armando Baycott offensive rebound and put back, and, like, Andrew Playtech layup. Um, <laughs> and a little stretch like that got him ahead. And so that's kind of what the rest of this team can do. We obviously saw Cole Anthony's impact against Boston College. Um, so, yeah, that was a little stretch of confidence. And uh, I'm not sure I wasn't there for the Boston College game. I'm sure Ryan or Madeline could better speak to it. But uh, I'd be interested to see what kind of the feel was. Because there is a feel. Like, there's a tangible feel, and it's kind of hard to describe. But you get this sense when you walk into the room for interviews like, how the team's feeling, you know. Um, so there's been a lot of 
up and downs with that recently, which has been interesting to cover from a reporter's standpoint. Okay, so Brian has left the pod studio, so we just got Chapel here. He just finished up a feature story on Matt Jednak. Um, Chapel, can you just give us a little brief overview of the story itself? Yeah, um, so unbeknownst to many people on this campus, um, for understandable reasons, but unfortunately, um, Ron Miller literally coached the UNC fencing program for 52 years. Um, he created it in the 60s, um, and he literally coached it every single year until uh, last spring, which is just absurd in its own right and has led to some well-deserved profiles of him, too, including one from the DTH a few years ago. Um, but so Matt Jednak was his replacement. He's a UNC alumnus and a former fencer here at UNC, and uh, this is his first year, and that kind of... We, we made it a goal to profile every new coach on this campus because there were a lot of them. Milton Berg with track and field and Banghart with women's basketball, obviously, which y'all touched on. Um, Jednak himself and then, who am I missing? Gangloff for swim and dive. Um, so he was up in the rotation, and I thought it was super interesting. Um, thought it would be fun to learn a little bit about fencing and try to kind of humanize someone like that who's in a sport that few people know about. Uh, so we uh, talked in his office and went from there, and it was awesome experience. Yeah, and you know, you brought it up that uh, not not too many people follow fencing yeah. around here, but uh, you know, it's kind of cool reading a story about a sport that uh, you don't follow, you don't know like how like I honestly don't really know how the scoring works or anything. Mm. But it's kind of cool reading about how he came to UNC and he had literally never fenced before. In his life. <laughs> never fenced before, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was like he was on the swim dive team, right? Or tried tried mm-hmm. out for the swim dive team, and uh, so I guess sort of how did that? What what were his sentiments on that kind of crazy ride in his first couple of years at UNC when you know he went from the swim and dive team to the rowing team and then eventually ended up on the fencing team? <laughs> I mean, yeah, a, a pretty absurd journey. Um, and I think it just kind of fits into the theme I tried to hit on, which is he's just like in the best way possible, like all over the place. Like he is going 100 percent, throwing all his weight, which is a lot of weight because he's like six foot four. He's like a big dude. <laughs> he's probably the tallest head coach on this campus. We were saying that if you brought it down to assistants, like Sean May would have him beat. But in terms of assistants, he could take. And then, sorry, in terms of head coaches, <laughs> yes, he's like probably. I mean, yeah, he's a big dude. Uh, but yeah, he just he he kind of goes all in and everything. So he was a swimmer and a runner in high school at East Mech, uh for the Charlotte people. He's an East Mech guy. Um, and yeah, he was a uh, practice. Sorry, he was a manager on the swim team. Did that for a semester. Got mono. Lost a step. Couldn't really um, like compete. Was losing to fifteen-year-olds, as he put it. Uh, semester on the rowing team to try to stay uh, in shape and did these hellish like five a.m. practices and. As it reads in the story, he finally got like a swim team tryout date set, and he celebrated with pickup basketball and ruined his ankle for a year. Um, mm. And then that led him to finding that flyer junior year. But yeah, I think, <coughs> excuse me, just that that whole journey is quite reflective of him just dotting around. Um, I don't really want to say like staying afloat because like he's been successful in whatever he does, but uh, he's just really willing to like go wherever it takes, do whatever it takes to get to his end goal. And I don't really think he maybe knew what his end goal was. Like, he was really happy in this tax business, um, which seemed like he was settled in. And then the head coaching job opens up, and he, once again, throws all his weight at that. And, like, now he's here, and everybody seems to love him. So so obviously you sat down with him for a good bit. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people probably just don't know much about the UNC fencing culture. What did you kind of pick up about how this team ends and outs of the daily life of a UNC fencer? Yeah, um, 
Well, the buzzword is Carolina family, and that's on every sport here. They try to emphasize that, and that's kind of what he talked about. Um, I think uh, everyone that I talked to fencing-wise, I talked to an assistant coach, uh, Kevin Nadeau, and two fencers, Jackie Latinsky and Feroz George, and uh, they all kind of said that there was a breath of fresh air of sorts, which is not an insult to Ron Miller like at all. Like It's just literally – Anybody who's been in this program for the past 52 years has been working under one style, one practice regime, stuff like that. And, like, if it changes, like, you're going to notice. Uh, so he uh, – Matt is really into, like, analytics and stuff, which is funny that you can apply that to, like, any sport. But they have this big uh, formula for, like, the best way they can set up their uh, matches to where their individual fencers can qualify for, like, regional, for ACC, for national competitions. Um he kind of hinted that they do like a form of load management, which is funny because <laughs> isn't that like a relevant topic right now? Um, and uh, he just like he loves like the teaching aspect. Like we were talking. Um, <laughs> let me see if I can find the quote. He, we were literally just talking about like some practice regime thing. And he pauses in the middle of a sentence and he's just like, I get chills just thinking about it. Them just doing the thing we've been working on. <laughs> so uh, this is <laughs> this is just talking about like like his coaching mentality he just had to like stop and be like oh my gosh like i'm thinking about my kids learning stuff and executing it and being their best up. self yeah <laughs> that, is, that is an all-time coach yeah. quote right there if i've ever heard one it's a fencing guy like a football guy <laughs> big fencing guys i think i think we're gonna be the first podcast to just be fencing guys yeah. Hard pod fencing guys big fencing fans now mm-hmm. um but i guess in terms of that uh how how good is the UNC program? Since not a lot of people follow it, not a lot of people probably like. I know the women's team won ACC championship in 2018, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but sort of this year, like, like what are their expectations and like where do they compete and like what it, basically what do they do for their competitions and stuff? Because I mean, please explain of, the whole sport. <laughs> what you say? Yeah, yeah. That that's one thing that is tough with them is like um, in terms of like home support. I think that best chance they really had at that was when they hosted the ACC fencing championships a few years ago. And ACC only has like four or five fencing programs, I think. Um, so a lot of their meets are on the road. A lot of their meets are not against one team, but just like one big tournament um, without like four teams coming in. Kind of like how wrestling does early in the season. They have those like big, like five teams are their duels. Mm-hmm. But then they go to like single ones. Um, I think the team fences against Duke this upcoming weekend. In accordance with rivalry week, of course. Uh, week. <laughs> Fencing and basketball this yeah. year. And women's basketball. We're really going to yeah. stick it to them. <laughs> but, like, that that game, which is uh, that match, which is in Durham, that's the closest, like, they've been all season, I think, and that's the closest they're going to be. Uh, so it's all of that. Um, and it really boils down to, like, the ACC championships, which I think are maybe in Notre Dame this year. I'm not totally sure. But they're not close. And then that goes on to regional and NCAA. Um so you're kind of building from a team perspective uh, to get to that individual level at the end of the year. And there's the three swords, the epee, the foil, the saber. Not going to pretend like I'm an expert, but they're three different swords, three different disciplines. They have their own rules for if you're in a bout where you can touch someone like on their armor to get a point. Um, one sword's like heavier than another. One is like lighter. They're meant for different people. Like Jednak uh, had one specifically for him because of like his height. And athleticism and stuff like certain swords lend themselves well to certain characteristics uh and it's a team match with like an individual perspective which is something that he really tries to emphasize like you want your team to win but at the end of the day like those individual bouts can like actually do well like if someone scores 40 points in her team loses like in basketball 
like it's still a loss at the end of the day. It might help them in the statistics, but um, in terms of like where the ultimate goal of fencing is and like what gets you respect in cloud as a national program, like you can glean uh, some good stuff out of overall team losses if you have a big, a few uh, like individual wins that boil down to that massive formula that I mentioned that I'm not even going to try to understand. <laughs> and uh, I guess for me, the most appalling part of your story was when you said uh, that Jednak was just on campus one day as a junior and he saw a flyer that said come try out for the fencing team like no experience necessary that's just kind of wild to me the varsity sport at like an ACC school one of the probably one of the better athletic programs in the country is just like you don't need experience to come try out mm-hmm. for a team like just just come and now I mean, he's the coach and now he's the coach <laughs> of the team I mean just sort of kind of wild to me I, yeah. don't know, I just kind of wanted to Shoot, that up. get Ron Miller on here and he'll talk about that mm-hmm. for five hours because I mean it, it purely comes down to a total lack of funding um and I didn't put it in the story because it would have required like fact checking and I, I mean I believed him but he said at that time like 2003 when Jednet went on the entire team was walk-ons like maybe some of them had experience but they had like no scholarship funding to offer to people like at all um and the re- one of the reasons Matt left UNC in the first place in 2014 is because, like, Miller wanted to offer him a higher salary. Like, he had a young son and a wife, um, and it was just, like, an unsustainable mm. work schedule. And, like, he wanted to offer him more money. He literally couldn't. He didn't have the funding. Um, so that funding stuff has um, obviously defined a lot of the program, and that's why it was the no-experience-necessary thing because they're just they, – they had no recruiting budget. They were basically like, let's look for former athletes in other sports, people that have good athleticism and, like, want to at least try to learn and that's all you could really hope for at that point obviously it worked out well with yeah. Matt <laughs> yeah those are just the type of crazy storylines you get with these kind of overlooked sports at UNC I mean we all focus on men's basketball mm-hmm. football and women's basketball but these smaller programs have really really interesting culture surrounding them as was evident in this piece but also a lot of turmoil and like the, the, the budget funding lots of interesting stuff Matt do you have anything else that's it for me I mean just fencing podcast now so let's go <laughs> yeah we'll, let's we'll, go. we'll be live covering fencing <laughs> fencing matches duels I believe yeah. they are um believe they're matches matches with duels at the top level yes, yes. <laughs> awesome well travel thank you so much for coming in and uh talking with us i uh, hope to have you back soon you're officially a friend of hark the pod yeah that's, uh, that, that's an honor great yeah story. thank you so much but appreciate you're you us talk about next time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks guys That's all we've got for this first edition in 2020 of Hark the Pod. We'll see you guys actually later this week for a special Duke rivalry game edition. Matt, any last thoughts? Uh, Nope. Big Duke weekend. We got fencing, women's basketball, and men's basketball facing the Blue Devils, though. So a lot to look forward to. We'll see you guys soon. Peace. Peace!